home. They say it's where the heart is. They also say it's wherever you make it. They don't say it's where you unload your stuff, get tired halfway through unpacking, use some boxes as furniture, realize your oven mitts in a box that doubles as a nightstand, don't want to buy a new nightstand, and use a towel as an oven mitt instead. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on renters and car insurance. Easier than grabbing a piping hot pan with a towel that's a bit too thin and trying to quickly get it to the counter. Ooh, hot, 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 hot. Hi guys, it's me, Brian Baumgartner, and maybe you've heard my podcast, The Office Deep Dive. Well now, I'm expanding it into even more of your favorite shows in my new podcast, Off the Beat. Hey everybody, I'm Rob Riggle. Hi, I'm Allison Hannigan. My name is Jamie Lynn Sigler, Meadow Soprano. Eric Stone Street, I played Cameron Tucker. Listen to Off the Beat on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. On this season of Here's the Thing, I speak with more actors, musicians, writers, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like the multi-talented musician and actor Stephen Van Zandt. I had no interest in being an actor, ever, but I had just read every mob book, uh, you know, and I had seen every mob movie, so I kind of just felt I could do this. I kind of knew this kind of guy. Listen to Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everyone? I'm Will Fulton. Welcome to Thrillist Best and the Rest. Okay, first, really quickly, before we get started, we have a little survey up on our site. You can find it at Thrillist.com slash survey. There's also going to be a link in our description. Guys, this will help make our show a lot better and in turn make your life a lot better. So please fill it out. It'll only take a couple of seconds. Okay, thanks. Today, we're talking Oscar picks, our predictions, and what we think the best movie of the year actually is. I'm here with senior entertainment staff writer, Esther Zuckerman. Hello. And senior entertainment staff writer, Dan Jackson. Hello. (laughs) How are you guys today? Tired. Tired. Esther's been up for how many hours working on Oscar stuff? Well, I got up at 6.30, so like not super early, but I did get to the office before 8 a.m. What was it like? Um, before anyone got in. There was no coffee. It sucked. <laughs> yeah, which is, you need coffee if you're going to write about the Joker. It's <laughs> yes. like, you need that extra caffeine boost. Um, yeah. So we're recording this four or five hours after the Oscar nominations came out. The anger out. is still fresh. I know. This is a great time to get you guys in here. Um, I feel, personally, correct me if I'm wrong, 2019 was a great year for movies, I think. It really was. And in some ways, the Oscars reflect that. And in many ways, they don't. But <laughs> yeah. I love them anyway. I feel like a lot of anxiety-ridden movies for me, Uncut Gems, Parasite, Knives Out the Lighthouse, Marriage Story, Cats in some regards. Do you think that this was a very anxiety-riddled um, movie season? Yeah, I would I would agree with that. A lot of the best movies kind of had a, lot, a degree of tension that, you know, is either might be reflected in the world, some people might say. You I know? would say and, that, sure. Yeah, so I think, yeah, there were definitely a lot of movies that were about, you know, class conflicts or just, you know, intense conflict, interpersonal conflicts. And, you know, that often makes for great drama. So it makes sense that a lot of the best movies were kind of fraught with uh, tension. Class conflict was the sort of main theme that echoed throughout film this year with Parasite, um, the rudely snubbed Hustlers. <laughs> mm. um, Uncut Gems was another movie that dealt very distinctly with class, Knives Out. Joker as well. You know yeah. that? I mean, so. Well, also, I mean, another film that was nominated that, um, but snubbed in one key category, which was Little Women. Yeah. It's about a middle class family, but it's also a lot about the place of women in the world and, you know, economic anxiety of how a woman is allowed to live her life. So, yeah. Totally. So, I have to admit something. Uh, much like taxes, you know, I participate in them. I, I don't know how taxes work. And I feel like I'm too old to ask. I don't know how the Oscars work. I really don't. I don't know who picks these films. You know, how a movie like 1917 all of a sudden seems like a front runner for a lot of awards. Can you enlighten me a little bit? The Oscars are picked by this word that you hear a lot during Oscar season. The Academy. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The Academy is comprised of a bunch of different branches, which represent acting, directing, all different kinds of tra- sort of trades within mm-hmm. the industry. These are Cast- people working on movies. Actively. Working in the movies, yeah. casting directors, publicists, um, cinematographers, makeup and hairstyling. Um, not all categories, but each category essentially has a branch assigned to it. Sure. To become an Academy member is a sort of complicated process. Basically, if you get nominated for an Oscar, you don't 
immediately get into the academy, but you are immediately qualified to get into the academy. If mm. you're, but there are a lot of non-Oscar nominees who are in the academy, and basically you are sponsored um, by a current existing member. Like a country club. Yes, basically. It is, it's a club. And I mean, the Academy membership is really interesting. In 2016, there were strong efforts to diversify the Academy after two years of Oscar So White, um, which sort of was a hashtag that popped up in, I believe, 2015. Sure. Sort of looking at how just glaringly not diverse the nominees were. Mm -hmm. The methods were twofold. One was they just tried to invite more people, invite more people of color, invite more women. The other thing was putting essentially term limits on you're basically you you get in for a 10-year term mm -hmm. and you have to sort of be an active member. So you have to be making films. After three 10-year terms, then you're a lifetime member. But basically the efforts were to white guys who are in there sure. who were not actively participating in the movie industry, and we're still getting to vote on these awards. So the idea was to sort of usher that era out and usher a new era that was more diverse, but it's still an uphold battle. Yeah, and there hasn't been this sort of like immediate uh, sea change, I think, in terms of like what gets nominated or what wins ultimately, because if, if I know some of us have blocked this out, but like last year, Green Book was the best <laughs> picture winner, right. which was a movie that I think a lot of people sort of did not really see as being part of like the vanguard of like new exciting cinema or anything. It was kind of considered like a very old school kind of boring Oscar, Oscar yeah. movie. Yeah. And it won the big award and it won a bunch of awards. So it's like, you know, there's definitely a push and pull and an evolution going on, but it hasn't been immediate. So seeing something like Parasite get in, Bong Joon-ho getting in for Best Director, Best Production Design, sort of getting the below-the-line categories. Um, Below-the-line are sort of the categories that represent what people do behind the scenes. Sure. Um, and it, it, it's exciting. So are there like a set number of people no. that are allowed to be in the no. academy? There is not a set number. And, you know, last year there were 842 people invited to membership. So mm -hmm. it's not like we have to get rid of 842 yeah. people and we have to add 842 people. It's not, you know, the bigger it gets, the more younger voices, the more diverse voices can like fill the thing. Right. Basically for nominations other than Best Picture, um, the branches are essentially choosing. Okay. And then for something like international feature films, there's no like international branch, but there are committees of people who um, will come together to nominate. So not everyone in the Academy is voting on all the nominations. And I believe with documentaries and documentary short subjects, some of the smaller categories, they've made it like, you have to watch these films because for many years there were people who were just like not watching them um but still voting, so voting but yeah <laughs> that is the gamble that you pay with all of them like yeah you know there's no way to tell that everyone yeah. can watch everything and there's probably like a most, punch card and where... probably you know the hollywood reporter publishes these honest oscar ballots every year which are always infuriating and very amusing to read because you get people in you know from the comfort of anonymity saying basically like Oh, yeah, I didn't watch this one. Like, yeah, or like one time uh, Bradley Cooper cut me off in traffic, so like I can't vote for a star as point. You know, like yeah, you hear sure. it just like kind of like weird voter biases. Like any voting body, there's definitely – it has its idiosyncrasies and it has people who maybe aren't making their judgment on the most uh, creative or like objective yeah. measures or something. You of know? course. A lot of people yeah. vote for their friends, I suppose, or people – movies they totally. know, people I mean, who worked on, like that – Kind yeah, of plays a role that on is it. the other thing to recognize about the Oscars. Like, it is a true campaign in the same way that politics is a campaign. Basically, people who are vying for Oscars are out on a campaign trail. They are showing up at Q and As. They are shaking hands and kissing babies. Yeah, I mean, because that's that's the question I think that um, like me and a lot of casual fans will have. You know, th these films come out, everyone sees them, they're received, and then all of a sudden their positions start to change. And I think there's a big disparity between what audiences like and even what critics like and then what ends up winning the night of. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's definitely a difference between, yeah, what audiences like, what critics like and what the Academy likes. So, yeah, like, yeah. Those are different entities with different priorities and kind of different, you know, uh, criteria of what they're assessing. So sure. like there are films that can connect with a certain small audience or a niche audience and a bunch of critics that have maybe like an intensity or an urgency or a vibrancy to them that people respond to that people in the Academy maybe reject for whatever yeah. reason, you know, and that's yeah. the way award bodies, you know, they kind of have their taste that, depending on how you feel about that taste, is kind of, it prioritizes certain things over other things. But again, things are, things always shift and change. Um, you know, you always see examples of things that like seem like the traditional Oscar choice that then gets left behind, or there's something that sort of sneaks in. 
So momentum is definitely a real thing here. And these award shows that lead up to the Oscars, they're not just uh, used as a prediction model as who will win the Oscars, but they're actually in some cases informing the voters. Yeah, I mean, I think the Globes are a key example of that because the Globes sort of should ostensibly mean nothing. They are voted on by around 80 journalists um, who are sort of dinosaurs. Um, And they have this place because they have a primetime spot and they've sort of just gotten this reputation over the years. Sure. You know, the Guild Awards that come up beforehand, the SAG nominations, sorry, Screen Actors Guild, don't always align with the Oscars, but they're a better predictor because the actors branch is the biggest branch in the Academy. So you have sort of like, so what the actors like, um, and there's a lot of overlap there, you know, not all actors are in the Academy, but that can sort of mean something. Directors Guild, same thing. Producers Guild, um, which sort of, it's not like a flashy awards show, but, you know, that's always very telling. Yeah. Well, and also, like, people like to vote for winners, right? So, like, I think, like, when things start to emerge as favorites, that can maybe play a role in people's decisions because, you know, maybe that nominee that you were surprised by that you really loved doesn't seem like it's going to win. So it's like, well, I would rather vote for the number two that could overtake the number one. You well, know, so. and that's but are ballots of, public like that? No, no it's just but the best picture ballot is a ranked choice ballot. And that's the only one on the ballot that's ranked? I believe so. Okay. So basically what that means is like you really want to think about how you're organizing your favorites because like you'd, you'd always put your number one as the movie that you most love. But if that's movie that's like probably not going to end up winning – those get thrown out, your vote gets counted towards your number two pick and three and so far down the line. So that's like an interesting thing to sort of pay attention to. No, that is interesting because if there's enough divisiveness between number one and everyone picks the same number two, the number two could in theory win. Yes. And then, I don't know, sometimes that all goes out the window because last year I was like, Green Book will never win. But right, a lot of people really the loved consensus. it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think I understand a little bit better. So that's how a film, and I know you wrote about this, Esther, how a film like 1917, for me, a casual observer of these things has suddenly become a front runner very unexpectedly. Yes. I mean, I think that has a lot to do with the behind the scenes campaigning that you don't yeah. necessarily see. They started campaigning for it very early. So by the time it hit, it was like a guaranteed nominee. Sure. In my mind, it's not what I would consider to be a best picture of the year. But did I enjoy watching it? Sure. It was brutal. It gave me a lot of stress. It was a movie that I saw in the theaters I'll probably never see again. Um, Okay. All that was interesting. I think we should get into some categories. But before that, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. You care for the house, the kids, and our future. A Shiro's day is never done. So let's start saving a little more now. Get free tips to help boost your retirement savings. Visit AsiaRetirement.org. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Your, it's the what? Hip-hop questions, legends, and lists. It's your girl, Nyla Simone, alongside Mouse Jones. And we're back for season two of the what? Hip-hop questions, legends, and lists. Each week, the what poses unanswered yet nagging questions discussed in hip-hop circles and group chats, and we help find the answers. We said after watching, like, that Kanye genius doc, it probably would have been cool to have Talib and Ye... Um, as a group and most deaf that would be flat right this is like you kind of got that we did get that no we did but we're saying like official group yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if they were an unofficial group, but they did record it together. Talib was rapping, Most was rapping, Kanye produced, Kanye rapped on joints. But if they good? ran as a group, though, yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to see that group. Make sure you tune in each and every Monday for new episodes of the What Hip Hop Questions, Legends, and Lists. Subscribe to the What Hip Hop Questions, Legends, and Lists on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi guys, it's me, Brian Baumgartner, and maybe you've heard my podcast, The Office Deep Dive, where we go, well, deep, that's what she said, into the making of The Office. Well, now I'm expanding it into even more of your favorite shows in my new podcast, Off the Beat. You'll hear tons of amazing stories from your favorite TV stars before they were stars and learn what was really going on behind the scenes. I had to be my own drill sergeant. I had to be my own kick me in the ass guy because who's going to be waiting at my door going, no, no, turn around, go back and try harder. This is a dream of yours. (laughs) No. I wanted to be a clown in the circus after I went to the circus and it was explained to me that clowns were just normal people with makeup on. (laughs) If I had a nickel for every time and then I said, 
Oh, wait, I do. (laughs) Thank you, American Pie. Listen to Off the Beat on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back. And before we get to the quote-unquote real categories, I want to talk about two categories that were on this article, the Thrillist Movie Awards, uh, commonly known as the Thrillies. The real Oscars is what we call them around here. (laughs) The Thrillies. Yeah, the Thrillies. (laughs) I don't know why this isn't a category in the actual Oscars. Best stunts, something to acknowledge the brave stuntmen and women out there. I think the obvious winner, that would be John Wick 3. Why doesn't the Academy recognize stunt people? I mean, this has been like a back and forth at the Academy for years. Like that is always the sort of the main thing that people are lobbying for because it is a huge part of the industry and it is basically completely ignored. It's odd because there's a visual effects award. So there's a lot of, you know, and obviously a lot of movies rely more on digital effects, but there's still a lot of like practical stunts that go on, you know, and like the Mission Impossible movies that obviously have these big sequences. And then also that, you know, there's, Obviously, fight choreography is kind of a big thing in smaller action movies. So, yeah, it would be great if some of those, you know, great performers who are literally, you know, breaking bones to entertain you could get uh, invited to the Academy Awards. That would be a blast. I think hopefully that is something that will happen in the next, you know, 10 years or 20 mm-hmm. years because I think there is more advocacy around it. And I think there's more of a conversation around it. So, you know, like all things related to the Academy, it takes time. And, you know, it takes right. time to evolve. I think as an observer, the Oscars could be more fun. One category for best stunts. There could be a stunt, you know, like a little performance. Yeah. That would be great. I mean, I don't know if the Oscars needs more performances. <laughs> that is one thing. Well, like, I say cut down on the musical performances, add a stunt performance. A big spectacular with things exploding. Some parachuting in die. from the ceiling. It, it would be cool. The award, that would be great. Yeah. The other one for the Thrillist Movie Awards that I really liked, uh, Box Office Bomb, that was actually great. Gemini Man. Dan can defend that. I don't know. <laughs> I hate this movie. This morning, I was just steamed. I was like, I can't believe Gemini Man was snubbed. You in thought the, they were the campaigning. Awards. Yeah, I was like, where rooms. was Will Smith's best actor? He played his younger self and his older self. I mean, uh, him and Double Robert role. De Niro both got snubbed for best actor. And I think they probably are commiserating today in some <laughs> Together. sort of group text. Yeah, with people who had like really great, like digitally enhanced roles where they played their younger selves. Like, yeah. I mean, they both did a great job of doing it. Um, yeah, Gemini Man was great. As a Gemini man myself, oh, I, I know. really, I'm yeah, sorry. I really responded to the movie. I mean, at the very, at the very least, it was um, much better than Jojo Rabbit. So, <laughs> uh, better than 1917 Gemini yeah. Man. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, they should add that category. That would. Be, I don't know how they would classify that. Yeah, I think it, it might make people kind of uncomfortable. You know, I think it's the, the Oscars they tend to be pretty celebratory, so we can be a little bit, um, uh, you know, here at the Thrills Movie Awards. Yeah, we don't have to be quite as reverential. I like it. Okay. Let's get to the quote-unquote real categories, although it's been very real for me so far. And now Esther Zuckerman with the nominees for okay. actor in a supporting role. We've got Tom Hanks in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Big bones Mr. there, which I'll get to playing later. Playing Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Hopkins in The Two Popes. Al Pacino in The Irishman. Joe Pesci in The Irishman. And Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And there is no way anyone is winning this except for Brad Pitt. I could see a Joe Pesci win. I mean, it's I, not happening. I don't think it's going to happen, but like it, it just seems like every Oscars, there's usually at least one surprise, surprise. right? And I think this, there's a potential this could be it. Mm, I feel no. like he's so good in that part. and it's, He's so good. And it's yeah. so different than what he normally does. And it's, the fact which is that nothing, like, right? No, what? I mean, no? he's usually more Joe explosive. Yeah, yeah he's Pesci. usually. Well, he's been around a lot lately. Oh, well, oh yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, in acting. Yeah, I guess. And I, I think, yeah, I think it's like a sentimental pick. I mean, I do agree that Brad Pitt scratches the sentimental itch for people in the same way. Well, Brad yeah. Pitt is also, he has an Oscar, but for producing, yeah. um, he's never won an acting award. Basically, since that movie came out, it's very much been like, Brad Pitt's getting coronated. And honestly, I'm fine with that. He's great in that oh, movie. Oh, yeah. He's, he's incredible. I think he's great. I think someone once described him as a character actor with a supermodel's body. Yes, I think yeah. a lot of people have described him. Um, and I think he's great. I will say, the big bone I have to pick is, I love Tom Hanks, and I really love Mr. Rogers. Um, I was born in Pittsburgh. I really did not like him in that role. I loved him. I didn't think he captured the spirit of Mr. Rogers. <sighs> I think Ms. Mr. Rogers made appeal. He had this kind of meekness to him, this like smallness that I think allowed him to talk to children in a really disarming way. And Tom Hanks just did not nail that. He was a little bit too loud. He was too much of a presence. I don't. I understand why he was cast there, but I don't think he was the right choice. So wait, your point is he was too loud? He you was. Like... He's too big of a presence, and he was a little bit too bombastic. I don't find that at all. I don't think he I got love, the voice right. I, I think just that don't movie like him was, in that role. I love that movie. I like the movie, too. I think that, like, 
the beauty of his performance is that he did, you know, he is, he's this icon playing an icon and there's this interplay with that, but he does take the setback. It's a very supporting role. One of my favorite moments in movies all of this year was um, that final shot, which is sort of representative of the work that someone like Mr. Rogers does to sort of keep his emotions in check. And I thought that was just absolutely beautiful. I was thinking about who I would cast instead. I think Edward Norton. Edward Norton as Mr. Rogers. In a career-defining role, <laughs> Edward Norton back. I think he would do a great job. I think he has that smallness to him that, that Mr. Rogers had. Yeah, I, I, you know, I would watch that movie if it was, it was just like, <laughs> Edward Norton is Mr. Rogers. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think they would say it like that. Talk yeah. about someone doing too much all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, Edward Norton. Yeah, that would, be, that would be a ride. I want to talk about one snub um, that was not nominated for supporting actor, which is Song Hang Ho in um, Parasite. None of the Parasite actors were nominated, which is sort of ridiculous. Like the fact that the movie got so many nominations and that none of the acting did is sort of ridiculous because the actors completely made that movie. um, And without them, it it does show the Academy's biases in a certain way. Yeah. To kind of like prioritize, just view the movie as like a technical achievement or something. When in reality, it's like, oh, there are all these great performances. And that's so effective. Like incredible. Yeah. Dan, do you have a snub that you'd like to mention besides the hypothetical Edward Norton as Mr. Rogers? Uh, uh, yeah, besides that, I would say, um, I, you know, I would have loved to see Wesley Snipes get nominated for Dolomite oh, as so well. Um, I know that's a movie that, for the most part, got, just got snubbed all around, and uh, it's kind of a shame because it's it's really funny, it's really charming, and, and again, I think like there's a tendency with uh, the Academy, and not necessarily in this category, but you know, to uh, not nominate sort of like funny performances or comedic yeah. performances, and it's just like a classic example of like a actor you really love you know showing up in a thing and just stealing every scene he's in he's not in the movie like un- as much as like you know brad pitt is in once upon a time in hollywood or joe pesci is in the irishman but like every time he shows up in the movie it's uh it's delightful it's wonderful now that's a really good point because is that really what you're looking for um in this category an actor in a supporting role um, well that's i mean if you look at these categories it's like you know anthony hopkins and the two popes like he's the he's co-lead, the lead. He's yeah. the co-lead. Yeah. is there any rhyme or reason to this is there like a scream time cap no no no, there's no cap. There's category fraud all the time in supporting. Sure. Um, and like, frankly, it, it's some of the problem with the supporting categories because like, you know, what is supporting? What does supporting mean? Interesting. You know. Okay. Dan Jackson with the nominees for actress in a supporting role. Two uh, of the nominees for that category are Kathy Bates in Richard Jewell, Laura Dern in Marriage Story, Scarlett Johansson in Jojo Rabbit, Florence Pugh in Little Women. And Margot Robbie in Bombshell. Ugh, this category. <laughs> Justice for Jennifer Lopez, mm. who deserves to be here, who was, everyone thought was getting in this whole year, and it is absolutely absurd that she did not get nominated. And Hustlers was uh, so good. Hustlers everyone, is so everyone good. Everyone liked it, and it was just such a great role for Jennifer Lopez, and yeah. it's, a real, it's a real bummer, you know? Yes. Laura Dern is winning this award. There is absolutely no question about that. I figured. Yeah, she's kind of the consensus favorite. Yeah, she's she's the favorite. She's also, she's on the Academy Board of Governors. She's never won. She has a long story career. She's Laura Dern. She's great. So I was very happy to see Florence Pugh get in, who I think is incredible, who had an incredible year um, with both Midsommar and Little Women. And I think she's absolutely unbelievable as Amy and Little Women. What was Um, the other movie? She was in another movie. I remember seeing Fighting with My Family. That's a good movie. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, yeah, this was sort of her year, and she's great in Little Women. I think so she's I excellent. Happy. I mean, there are a bunch of, other than Jennifer Lopez, who definitely deserved my sort of like long shot hope was, um, and I probably am going to mispronounce this, and I'm very sorry about it, Zhao Shuzhen, who played Nai Nai in The Farewell. She's yeah. a grandmother in The Farewell, and she's a Chinese actress, m- mainly a Chinese TV star. And there was a quiet campaign for her, and I was yeah. really hoping she would get in, um, and... That movie, which is one of my favorites of the year, completely got shut out. So Yeah, it was a shame. The Farewell was great. Esther Zuckerman announcing the nominees for actor in a leading role. Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory. Woo-hoo! Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Adam Driver in Marriage Story. Joaquin Phoenix in Joker. And Jonathan Price in The Two Popes. Not one, but two. <laughs> was Antonio Banderas a surprise for you guys? No. Nope. 
yeah, there was. It seemed like he was out there. He was nominated for a Globe. He was nominated for a SAG Award. He's he's sort of had all the precursor nominations, so that was not really surprising. I was, but I was very. I mean, like there was an easy chance that he could get left out. Yeah, um, it's a crowded category because it's a super crowded category. But I was very happy to see him get in. Yeah. Like, frankly, he would be my pick to win this award. Yeah, Robert De Niro for The Irishman did not get nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Will Smith for Gemini Man did not get nominated. <laughs> I so, mean, like, there were Bala, Laura, well, it was we very should, competitive. We should talk about like our favorite person to not get nominated. Yeah. Sandman. Yeah, Sandman I, deserves. But we got to talk about Adam Sandler here first and foremost. What the hell happened? It was a long shot to begin with. I don't think it's a what the hell happened was situation. It, was it just hyped up kind of by the press and people like me? Who no, I mean, Sandman? there was, you know, it was very hyped. They, he was out on the campaign trail, but like, there is no way that movie is like, if we're talking about like what appeals to Academy voters who still are largely like older and less adventurous, like Uncut Gems is not going to be it. So I think most of us knew like, yeah, that was like never going to happen, but we were hoping. I think he'll he'll break through one day, you know, uh, 10 or 20 years from now. He'll make another movie Maybe. with Paul Thomas Anderson or something and then yeah. he'll get in. And, another and, Safdie's and movie. It'll like, be, yeah. And again, like just talented people, talented filmmakers, you know, if you have a long career, you make stuff. It's like yeah. usually they catch up with you. If you're Martin Scorsese, they catch up with Sandler, you. Because um, I feel like this was the movie that like after Punch Drunk Love that like people this was the one, like, 10 years later that people would like. But respond. he's not that old. No, I think he'll, I, yeah. He, and I think he seemed to enjoy making this, and he'll probably continue yes. to make one of a movie like Uncut Gems mm-hmm. every five <laughs> every or ten five years. years. In between, it, like, yeah, so grown-ups But, 10. yeah, I mean, it is, it is a shame. I am sad about Adam Sandler. That's definitely my favorite role. It's a dramatic spin on that Adam Sandler character who's weirdly grating, but you like him. He has that craziness behind his eyes. Um... I love it. I love him. Obviously, this category is the will win. It's, I think, going to be Joaquin Phoenix for the Joker. Mm. Joaquin has been winning, like, he won the Globe. He's, you know, winning the Critics' Choice Award. I do think people are like, it is a lot of acting <laughs> in that performance, which yeah. people tend to respond to. But I do think this is the category that feels most sort of vulnerable to someone coming in. And who would that be, in your opinion, out of these uh, nominees? I mean, for a while, I would frankly say Driver. But I honestly, like, I think Banderas could be, like, an Olivia Colman, for instance, last year. Okay. (laughs) We should move on. (laughs) Before we get to the best actress in a leading role, we're going to take a quick break. Mama, what does the chicken say? Uh, dog. Cat. Giraffe. Giraffe, really? Giraffe. Uh, giraffe. You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you nail the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov. Slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, guys. It's me, Brian Baumgartner. And maybe you've heard my podcast, The Office Deep Dive, where we go... Well, deep, that's what she said, into the making of The Office. Well, now I'm expanding it into even more of your favorite shows in my new podcast, Off the Beat. You'll hear tons of amazing stories from your favorite TV stars before they were stars and learn what was really going on behind the scenes. I had to be my own drill sergeant. I had to be my own kick me in the ass guy because who's going to be waiting at my door going, no, no, turn around, go back and try harder. This is a dream of yours. (laughs) No. I wanted to be a clown in the circus after I went to the circus and it was explained to me that clowns were just normal people with makeup on. (laughs) If I had a nickel for every time and then I said, Oh, wait, I do. (laughs) Thank you, American Pie. Listen to Off the Beat on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone, it's Leanne Rhymes. You know, these days, it is pretty easy to feel overwhelmed and fractured, not only from each other, but ourselves. The third season of my podcast, Holy Human, focuses on living our fullest and best lives by reconnecting with ourselves and each other to build greater joy, connectivity, and intention. I'd love for you to join me as I sit down with some of the most inspiring and enlightening experts in the fields of self-awareness and healing. Together, we will make more sense of this wild and sacred existence that we all share. You won't want to miss the third season of Holy Human. 
Listen and follow Holy Human with Leanne Rhymes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Dan Jackson with the nominees for actress in a leading role. Um, the nominees are Cynthia Erivo for Harriet, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story, uh, Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, Charlize Theron for Bombshell, and Renee Zellweger for Judy. This category confused me. I was very surprised not to see Aquafina nominated. Number yeah, that one. was really frustrating. I mean, bias against non-white actors is sure. one reason. Um, I think the farewell, the Academy clearly just like didn't respond to the farewell. Um, it was, I guess, I don't know, seen as too intimate a movie. Who knows? Too intimate? It's very much like no makeup, not playing a historical figure, no big costumes, playing like a real person that like lives in 2019. That doesn't raise their eyebrows as much. Um, and that freaking sucks. But I mean, Renee Zellweger is going to win. Yeah, this like, seems this like, is like kind of like a lock. Um, yeah, this is very much a lock. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't even like, looking at it. I'm like, I don't even know if there is a again. Is there a Joe Pesci, a in, Joe this Pesci category, in this category? I don't. I don't, I don't really think yeah. so. I mean, for a while, I would have said Scarlet, but I don't think people are responding to that performance as much. Um, you know, there. I mean, Charlize she does Theron have two doing, nominees. So she does have two nominations. I think that's always... Charlize Theron doing the Megyn Kelly voice. She definitely looks the part, Charlize Theron. Well, I mean, that's the makeup and hairstyling award, yeah. though, which Bombshell will win. They should. She sounds so much like Megyn Kelly. It's and so weird. It's, like, disturbing in some ways. I hate, like, I hate Bombshell. Because, <laughs> yeah. um, like, like, it is the Academy's tendency to honor... Uh, performers who like do the kind of like transformative historical figure thing but it's like yeah. weird to see it done with someone who's like the contemporary in yeah. some ways like the the sensation of watching it is like like unnerving it's also <laughs> like it's very good work there's something really gross about like how the movie like sort of deals with megan kelly as a yeah. persona um but yeah i mean Renee Zellweger's performance. I don't know if either of you guys have seen Judy. Um, no, I have not. Um, Renee Zellweger. Have you, Dan? Have you seen it? I was telling Astro before we record this. I meant to watch Sorry, it. I was calling I, out all I, the men I, who I haven't seen it. I meant to watch Judy. it this <laughs> Sorry, weekend. I, I was literally like, I was like, I'm going to watch it this weekend in preparation for the podcast. And I Frank, It's I, fine. Judy's like not that good. I didn't um, know it was an option for me to watch it ever. Uh, it is. Yeah, I think it's I, streaming now. Is so it? Okay. It is out in the world. She sings all the songs. She very much performs. It's someone sort of falling apart at the seams, which the Academy tends to love. And like, frankly, I do love the Renee Zellweger narrative. Hollywood put her through absolute hell. Um, the media put her through absolute hell, um, you know, in terms of making fun of her looks, making fun, you know, mm. sort of she fell out for a really long time and to have her back is really nice. So I'm pro Renee. Yeah, that's always a classic kind of like narrative yeah. that's like fun to root for. One of my favorite performances that I, I feel like should have should be on here it was Lupita Wango from yes. us. It was great. Dual role, much yeah. like Gemini Man. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, it was, yeah, she was incredible. And yeah, it's really disappointing that she wasn't nominated because, you know, I think that movie, it's interesting. You know, I think it, obviously it wasn't as well received as Get Out. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I don't know, it was... At the time, you know, it was like very excitedly received. People really were, loved it. But I think time played a factor. I feel like it was a long time ago. And then also like Parasite deals with similar themes and kind of became the movie that got a lot of nominees. And us couldn't really also, find its way into that conversation. There's, you know, in addition to bias against, again, non-white actors, there the Academy always has a horror and genre bias. Yeah. Um, and us even more so than Get Out was very much more of like a quote-unquote horror movie. So, anyway. Yeah, another um, performance would, it would be Mary Kay Place and Diane. That's another, yeah. like, um, performance that was really great. And I mm -hmm. think she won some Critics Awards. And, I mean, that and that movie is, you know, spectacular. Like we were saying with um, The Farewell, a very kind of intimate, you know, small movie that, you know, is, you know, it's about an older woman and it's set in contemporary times. And, you know, it's just a type of story that is gripping when you watch it. But I think maybe the movie didn't, you know, find as big of an audience. Sure. Okay. Esther Zuckerman, nominations for directing. <laughs> best directing? Direct. Directing. I mean, well, it's best director. Like, you know, <laughs> they always listed as directing. Sure. Directing. Uh, Martin Scorsese for The Irishman. Todd Phillips for Joker. Sam Mendes for 1917. Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. I mean, this is actually the hardest category mm, yeah. of the main ones, I think. Um, 
I have for a long time thought this was Quentin's to lose, but I think that Sam Mendes could easily, very yeah. easily get it. Um, I could see Sam Mendes or Bong Joon-ho. Or bon jo- that bon that would be yeah. the surprise, I think. I, I, I think. I don't think Marty's getting it. Oh, I, no, I don't Todd think Todd Phillips so. is certainly not getting it. Mm, or, yeah. I mean, Bong would be awesome. Yeah, is there a uh, chance that he wins? Yeah, I think there yeah, is. There's think, definitely a chance. Yeah, I think that could really happen. It's, it's so clear that there's um, such a, like the people who like this movie are really enthusiastic about it, you know, yeah. and yeah. Like, the difficulty for it, it to break in and get this best director nominee. It's like speaks to the excitement There's about a, it. And... There was a great story written by Kyle Buchanan, who does the carpetbagger for the New York Times um, about like this Golden Globes weekend parasite party where basically like it was the hottest ticket in Hollywood. I think it was hosted by Guillermo del Toro, but like mm. people are so excited about Parasite and rightfully so. Yeah, it's hard to predict. And, you know, it could just be, uh, it could be Todd Phillips, you know, the big hangover <laughs> part, the director of the hangover part two. Fine, you know, it's a reward for hangover part two, yeah. you know, retroactively. Sometimes yeah. that happens. It's a lifetime you know, achievement. They give I awards for the wrong movie, you know. So. Yeah. Old school too, right? Was My that My Tarantino yeah. argument yeah. for a long time is that like he hasn't won a directing, sure. you know, or I mean, like I think Dan's right that I do think Hollywood sort of sees him as a screenwriter still, even though, like— I think he even kind of— I, Identifies a little like, bit kind more. Of, yeah. I mean, much, yeah. But he, he had a quote where he was like, oh, I want to, like, if I win the screenwriting award, we can rename it, like, the Quentin and stuff. Like, I feel like, you know, <laughs> he, like, I think likes to sort of talk up that <laughs> aspect. Quentin's speeches are, like, the most anxiety-inducing thing. Like, I went to the New York Film Critics Circle Awards Dinner where he won for screenplay. Brad Pitt gave, gave this, like, incredible intro for him that was very funny. Brad Pitt said uh, that Quentin Tarantino is the only man who needs cocaine to stop talking. <laughs> uh, it was, an, it was, but like, whenever Quentin gives a speech, like I, I don't know about you, but I always get like tense because it's like he just speaks so stream of consciousness that you're like, what is he gonna say? Is it gonna be terrible? Like, is it gonna, is it gonna land somewhere? Um, yeah, no, and it, it, it's, it's, very, it's kind of exhilarating. It's, I don't know. I mean, I know great. some people find it incredibly uncomfortable, and like, no, it's awesome. But it. it's like, I, th- I mean, I know. I'm, yeah. it's just, it is anxiety-inducing, but it's awesome. It usually is awesome. You say that going to Globes, he was like, uh, you know, I don't really have anyone to thank. I wrote it. Yeah. yeah, and like he was trying to like <laughs> segue know. into like a less egotistical comment, but like he like paused in a way that yeah. I think everyone was just kind of like, what? Like it, Some it people was, laughed, I feel like. Yeah, it was, other... it was good. Um, um, so there's a chance Bong will win. Do you think that with Parasite's success and its nominations that we will see more international films in these bigger categories as a result? I think it's been trending that way for a while. I mean, like Roma last year was a great example of like, you know, obviously, I mean, Poirot has worked a lot in the States and has been sort of like anointed by the Academy before, but like Director Bong has also worked in the States. Yeah, I don't know if it'll be some sort of like broad shift, but I think again, like gradual and, you know, and I, yeah, I think if you go back, there is like big international filmmakers have gotten nominated, you know, in these categories mm-hmm. before in the past. So it's not like it's like it hasn't happened, but yeah. I mean, the, the consistency is the question. I think, yeah, if, if like the big, you know, film from a non-American country can get nominated every year. That would be great. And if that, yeah. sometimes there's multiple ones, that would be even better. So I think, yeah, the, we'll see how it goes, but it's hard to predict at this point. But it's like Parasite is one example of like a breakthrough thing. And then you see how many like incredible like international films there were that don't get at all. Yeah. Sure. Honestly, credit to Neon, which distributed Parasite. And they sold it as like an event yeah. that people needed to see. Yeah. And there was like an urgency and, you know, so. Well, and, and this is total, totally anecdotal. I just feel like more people that I know in my own life that would not be seeing foreign films, international films, went to see Parasite and ended up loving it, which I think is a credit to the film itself, too. Yeah, it was exciting to see, like, so many people go to see Parasite and love Parasite. I think you have to sort of take everything with a grain of salt and just see how the industry ignores a lot of great, like, foreign... Exactly, like a film like Atlantics that was, like, on Netflix and was, like, very widely available, which is, like, this incredible film uh, by this filmmaker, um, Maddie D. Yeah, and... um, Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. (laughs) It's uh, <laughs> you no, seemed like you hesitated for yeah, a second. Uh, it's you no, know, but it's 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 great. I mean, it's this, it's amazing. It's this really like enchanting, sort of like haunting film, and you know you can watch on Netflix. It was it's widely available, but you know it didn't get this awards attention. Um, you know which sucks, and but is also not terribly surprising given the way yeah. consensus kind of forms around certain movies. Yeah, uh, biggest snubs here. I mean. You mentioned Greta Gerwig, Little Women. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's big one. I think the most frustrating one um, is just because 
so few women have ever been nominated for Best Director. Still, yeah. only one woman has ever and won it. Catherine uh, Bigelow? Bigelow. Sure. Um, Greta has been nominated before. She was nominated the year Lady Bird was up for a bunch of awards. But um, I believe I saw a stat. Um, someone tweeted out that they've also never nominated the same woman twice. So, like, yeah. Catherine Bigelow didn't get a nomination for Zero Dark Thirty. Oh, really? And, I mean, there were a ton of female filmmakers that made amazing work this year. Yeah. Lulu Wong, Marielle Heller, Mati Dia. Jennifer yeah, Kent. Claire Denis Claire for Denis, High Life. Celine Siama. Or Joanna Hogg for jo- The Souvenir. Yeah. Like there's, like, there's a lot of, there were a lot of great. A lot of amazing films made by women this year. And, you know, the reason you latch on to Greta's snub is because it was a film that was anointed by the Academy in other ways. So you can see like, oh, well, she's in the same position as Noah Baumbach, who is her partner, <laughs> which is an, another um, spin on that. But it's more frustrating when you look at just, like, how frequently um, women get shut out of this award. It's yeah. just, it really makes me mad. Really makes, really, really, really <laughs> makes me mad. I mean, I also love Little Women, and I think, like, it is just such a work of her pure vision, um, especially when you take something like an adaptation, you just truly make it your own. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the other quote-unquote snubs that are arguably less enraging, but Bombach is an example. Um, another person who sort of, like, Tarantino, though they let him in this category, sort of seen more as like a screenwriter than a director. Yeah. And it's inevitable kind of also like I think with the expanded best picture field, it's, you know, now that there's 10 movies, there's always going to be some that are left out of the best director conversation. That does tend to indicate, I think, like the degree of enthusiasm about particular movies, maybe. Right. I also just think like the perpetual thing with women is like, did this movie freaking direct itself? Like is the, is the refrain <laughs> that you always hear because it's like, if you're just not going to nominate women but nominate their films for other things, like, yeah, what do you, like, who do yeah. you think is behind this? Yeah. All right, Dan, best picture of the year. What are the nominees? So the best picture nominees this year are Ford v. Ferrari. <laughs> Um, or versus Ferrari. I don't know. The official <laughs> I versus. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking v. with V. I'm sticking <laughs> yeah, with V at this point. Um, the Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, uh, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time, dot, 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 in Hollywood. Oh, yes. And Parasite. Um, okay. So those are all the nominees. Yeah. So I want to ask you guys, what do you think will win? And what do you think should win? Um, and you could obviously go beyond the nominations. Esther, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has a very good shot at winning. Um, I don't know. I I think they're, again, like sort of similar to director. There are potential people who might potentially usurp. Yeah. Who's usurp? your Joe Pesci award for usurping? <laughs> I mean, I think it's throne. 19. I think right now it feels like 1917 has uh-huh. the most momentum to potentially. I mean, again, like maybe Parasite sneaks in there. Though an interesting thing to look at is editing. Um, who gets a nomination for in-film editing often corresponds to who will win um, Best Picture. And right. Once Upon a Time didn't win. So 1917 also didn't get a nomination for editing, which is sort of yeah. funny. They're not that much editing. There was a lot of an editing. <laughs> yeah, it's just one. They just put the camera right? <laughs> There was a lot of editing. Said, but like, okay. um, I don't know that. Yes, there were. There were, <laughs> there were cuts? There were cuts. No. <laughs> so that's that's sort of a thing to look up. I mean, my case for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is, again, a Tarantino film hasn't won Best Picture. He is sort of the filmmaker of a generation. It's a movie about Hollywood. Hollywood loves a movie about Hollywood. Um, I think there's sort of that nostalgia element that could very well propel it forward. Yeah, I mean, we all remember The Artist. So yes. it's like, never, yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, and I, I don't want to make that comparison. No, it's a much I, better movie. Episode, Once Upon a yeah. Time Hollywood is a much better movie, but I, I do think the tendency to award movies that are about the craft of movie making and is, is real, you know? Yeah. So Esther, uh, before you jump to Dan, um, what would be your pick for your favorite movie of the year? I, Dan and I definitely have the same favorite movie of the year because uh-huh. we talked about it, which is Uncut Gems. That's yeah. my favorite movie of the year. Um, it won our Thrilly because we all love it so much. <laughs> yeah, it the win, real Oscars. The real Oscars. Yeah. It would win my personal award. Um, you know, so, yeah. You know, if I had to pick today, I guess I would go 1917 just because it seems like... There's a lot of momentum. Yeah, there's a lot of like, in the prognostication, there's a lot of like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if this happened? But, like, it seems sometimes if it seems like something is obvious, you're like, well, I guess that'll happen. The only thing that makes me a little hesitant is, like, um, the fact that, I guess, like, when you think back, 
I'm like, when was the last war film to win Best Picture? It hasn't happened in a long time. No, I time. mean, like, and often, like, Saving weirdly, Private war- Saving Private no, Wine did win. not win. Yeah. Shakespeare in Love won. Shakespeare in Love won. So I think I, I, that was, a, that's like the that big, that's like, kind of war. No, that's like, I mean, Shakespeare in Love, like, that is sort of the notorious <laughs> yeah. Oscar loss. And, 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 it, and right. a Weinstein thing. Yeah, and it makes me, mm. yeah, there's this perception <laughs> that, like, war films are, like, Oscar bait and that, like, oh, like, uh, they, they, they always win Oscars. And, like, yeah. I actually think that's no. not true. So, in that sense, it makes me a little bit like, oh, yeah. maybe 1917 won't pull it off. Like, I think there's— I think there could be very easily— a, we, Actually, the Academy has trended this way in recent years, is splitting director and picture. Yeah, that director-picture split could happen. And yeah, yeah I, I in that case, I think it could be Parasite for Best Director and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for Best Picture. Yeah. My favorite's Parasite. And the fact that Uncut Gems is not my favorite movie of the year just speaks to how great I think Parasite is. I mean— Uncut Gems, it's almost set up as a movie designed specifically for me, Will Fulton. It's about the NBA. Features Adam Sandler. It's by the Safdie Brothers, and I love Good Time. I don't know. Parasite, it just... Parasite was one of those movies where I feel like every every movie I see after, I will judge, according to Parasite. It was laugh out loud funny. It was super suspenseful. It was really poignant in parts. I just absolutely loved it. And I think also, you know, what I was saying before about, like, people like my parents um, just going to see Parasite as a foreign language film is just, like... It's bewildering. And I think that speaks to how well it was made. And and I think if I was a betting man, which I am. Oh, that's another thing I love that Uncut Gems is about gambling. Um, and diamond-encrusted Furbies. Uh, I feel like Parasite's going to win. The other one as a possibility, just because we haven't really dug into this that much, is I, like, I don't think it'll happen, but I can I can talk see about Joker, Joker winning. Yeah. I can see yeah. it. I can see the, just I mean, the chaotic energy of that happening. We haven't talked really about Joker outside right, of it, Joaquin, but like it got the most nominations, which isn't always a barometer of what wins. Right. But yeah, I mean, the Academy seems to love this movie. It is okay. interesting to think about the movie as like a reflection of the kind of like priorities of the academy in the abstract because it is like when you see it it's very self-consciously somber and serious and like you know it it's i'm using air quotes on a podcast which Mm. is bad but it's artistic in like very pronounced ways that it's trying to communicate in different points and to me in ways that are very corny and that i disliked and i thought was very overwrought um you know that's how i would describe it but i think to a lot of people it scans as like oh they're taking this comic book story and they're applying these kind of uh you know more mature techniques to it and that's of course the thing that gets lauded is kind of the thing that is reflective of those kind of lame techniques. Joaquin's performance is the type of performance that it it fully overtakes the movie. It's the only thing you can really sort of, you know, think about in the movie. And it is a very sort of it's a uh, acting class. It's acting class acting. It's doing, as I think I said before, like a lot. And that is also why people are super drawn to it. Um, yeah, and I'm not in a Joaquin hater. Like, yeah, I think he he's does, a like an amazing, tremendous actor. Yeah. and like I, you know, again, I won't be like uh, I don't know, super teed off or something if he wins. <laughs> so that means if he wins, two actors will have won Oscars for playing the Joker. Yes, interesting. Yeah, so it'll set a precedent. So if Ooh. you want to win, if you know, if <laughs> Edward Norton really wants to win an Oscar, I was just he should it. play the Joker. You know, <laughs> he, he tried so hard with Motherless Brooklyn. It's <laughs> it's clear, like this is the path. You know, like if I want to win an Oscar, I need to play the Joker. It's this is you know, mm-hmm. it, it it will become. I think the thing you'll see. I mean, already yeah. obviously Jared Leto did it. Like you know, Ooh, yeah. there will you, there will be more Jokers uh, forever now. <laughs> this will just be a thing we see every ten years, probably. Can I talk about my briefly my snub that everyone should watch and should get gotten nominated? Please. An original song, Glasgow from the movie Wild Rose, which is a wonderful movie. Jesse Buckley gave a better performance than a lot of a- actresses nominated this year. It is a um, British film about a wannabe um, country musician in Scotland in Glasgow, and the original song from it is. I can fairly say 100% better than any of the original songs nominated this year. It have is, you seen Frozen 2? I sure have. Um, and it was written by Mary Steenburgen, Oscar-winning actress herself. You know and love her from Step Brothers and a million other movies. She's married to Dan Danson. And apparently she had minor surgery, woke up, and had amazing musical talent and wrote this incredible song. Mary Steenburgen was snubbed. That was a lot, but I feel like what happened, there's something in there for me that could contribute to my own life. Um, okay, what is it? February 9th? The Oscars? I think I have a good idea of what's going to happen. Woo! 
Esther, where can people find your uh, Oscar coverage? Um, on Thrillist.com. Oh, we actually shit. have an Oscar <laughs> hub. I've been covering all the races basically since the fall. So The Oscar races. Yeah, not <laughs> not the political races. Okay. You can find me on Twitter at EasyWrites. And Dan, you made a big list about the best movies of the year. I did. You updated all year. Yeah, if you yeah. listen to this podcast and disagree with all my opinions, mm-hmm. you can read uh, the 50 best movies of 2019 ranked, which is currently on Thrillist.com. And mm-hmm. yeah, you'll see some of these movies that we talked about are on the list and uh, some of them are not. Whoa. And some movies we didn't talk about are on there too. There's a lot of great movies from last year. So, um, there are. I think we can all, all agree, 2019, great, great film here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hope all three of us are back here a year from now in 2020. I'm choking up. Unless the Joker wins Best Picture. And, they, they, and this is the <laughs> last <laughs> Oscars. They never happen again. That's, really, that's a real possibility. <laughs> he loves chaos. <laughs> yeah. That would be fine. I mean, the truth is we live in a society. <laughs> we do. We certainly do. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Before you go, take a couple minutes of your time to fill out our survey. Again, it's in our description, or you can go straight to thrillist.com slash survey. I want to thank Jim D'Amico, Megan Kirsch, and Ocean McAdams on the Thrillist side for making all of this happen. Brett Kushner, David Zwick, and Emily Feld, our Group 9 fam. My podcast partner in crime, Molly Schulson, who produced this episode. iHeartRadio's Mangesh Hatakudor, our editor, Randy Scott Carroll, and of course, our mixer, Ernie Indradat, who makes everything sound great. All right, we'll see you next week. I'm Robert Evans. On my show, Behind the Bastards, I chronicle the worst people in all of history. And over the next three weeks, from March 15th to March 31st, in six episodes, we're chronicling the worst living war criminal in the world. Former U.S. Secretary of State, Henry Kissinger. In a special project with the dollop, you'll learn everything about Kissinger over the course of six blood-soaked episodes. Episodes will drop Tuesdays and Thursdays in the Behind the Bastards feed. Listen to Behind the Bastards on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Chelsea Clinton, and I'm so excited to be back with a new season of my podcast, In Fact. We're marking Women's History Month with 12 trailblazing women in sports, media, politics, and more, talking about the progress we've made or lost and how far we still need to go. From soccer star Megan Rapino to White House correspondent April Ryan to fashion designer Stella McCartney, these women have risen to the top of their fields and are fighting for equal opportunities for everyone. So I hope you'll join us and listen to In Fact with me, Chelsea Clinton, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katherine Townsend, host of the true crime podcast, Hell and Gone. On October 30th, 2015, the Little Rock Police Department searched an abandoned car in a small residential park. The car belonged to 18-year-old Ebby Stepak. Ebby had vanished without a trace. I'm back in Arkansas trying to find out what really happened to Ebby Stepik. Listen to Helen Gone on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.